Hello, members of the Resilient Catholics community. Dr. Peter here with you, week 27 in the RCC. We are continuing our journey together. We are on this pilgrimage together. We are working towards better human formation. And today, we are getting into the childhood origins of protectors' roles. Last week, in week 26, we focused on the childhood origins of exile's burdens. But when an exile takes on a burden in childhood, even in toddlerhood, even earlier, there's a whole ripple effect, a whole domino effect, and protectors leap in to take on roles. Parts are forced into that protector role to help stabilize the system. So today, we're focusing on the protector's roles in that whole process. So last week, week 26, we explored how to access exiled parts in childhood memories. We discussed how to witness your exiles, and some of you have been hesitant to work directly with your exiles. Some of you have waited. That's fine. You know, we want people to go at the pace that they can. Just to review, we talked about the prerequisites for working with Exile's childhood memories. That's what we talked about last week. And weeks 21 to 25 had all been leading up to that. We want to focus on working safely and securely. We want to focus on being in self. The key to working with any part is to be in self, to be recollected in the natural realm. When we're in self, we have those eight C's, we have that big open heart, we have that expanse of love, we have compassion, there's a sense of fullness and rightness and completeness and goodness. And when we're in self, that's when we can accept and love all our parts with that compassion, with that curiosity, with that connectedness. When we are in self, Concerned parts are unblended. They're willing to let you as your innermost self lead and guide your system. And when we are in self, we can be separate but near to our parts. What are we going to talk about today? Well, today I want to emphasize how our internal systems are made up of subsystems. Each subsystem, which is like a little system within a bigger system, a subsystem, each subsystem revolves around an exile. And it's often said that the human psyche is like an onion, you know, where you peel back layers of the onion as you move toward the center. But Richard Swartz, he argues that our internal system is more like a bulb of garlic. Bulbs of garlic are made up of cloves. You know, they're the little separate segments of that bulb of garlic. And the bulb of garlic is like our entire internal system. And the cloves are like the little subsystems within us. In the middle of each clove of garlic is the exiled part. And the protectors the managers and firefighters that protect that exile or protect against that exile, they form around the exile in that clove of garlic. So the clove of garlic, that's the subsystem that develops around the exile. And that whole subsystem is part of a larger system. 
and that larger system is our whole system. Right? Now also, it can be a little more complex than that. Sometimes protectors can protect against more than one exile. And so they're active in two cloves of the garlic, for example. But for now, we're just going to focus on one subsystem, just one clove of garlic. Now, last week, we focused on the childhood experiences of the exiled parts. Those are the traumas, the attachment injuries, the wounds that led little parts to take on different burdens and then be exiled. They sacrifice themselves to take on the burden so that whatever that burden is doesn't overwhelm our whole system. Today, we're focusing on how the trauma or attachment injury led to the protectors taking on their protective roles. So we're looking at the childhood experiences of the protectors. Protectors, according to Jay Early, protectors take on protective roles for two reasons. They have two goals for what they do in protecting. First, they want desperately to keep whatever bad thing happened, the trauma, the attachment injury, whatever that bad thing was, they want to keep that from ever happening again. Their motto is never again. I am never going to allow that to happen again. That's the first goal that protectors have. The second goal is to keep you from being overwhelmed by the pain or distress that the exiles carry. That could be grief or shame or rage or fear. Whatever the burden of the exile is, that burden is perceived by the protectors to be overwhelming. And in fact, if it was allowed uncontained into the system, it would overwhelm the system. So these little cloves form, the exile in the center of the clove and the protectors revolving around that exile, working hard to seal off the exile and its burden. So we know that exiles have burdens, we talk about them a lot, but protectors have their burdens too. Protectors have their burdens too. And what is the burden of a protector? The burden of a protector is its role. The burden of a protector is the role that the protector has to take on because those roles that protectors take on are so demanding. Protectors are trying to control situations, often situations that are far beyond their actual control. Protectors have very limited resources, very limited vision. They just have their narrow slice of experience. And usually these protectors are very young phenomenologically. They often have very young ways of perceiving, very young ways of thinking, yet they are still trying to lead and guide your system. They're taking on the role of the conductor of the orchestra. They're taking on the role of the self. And that's just too much. Those shoes are too big for our protectors. And so many times our protectors get exhausted. They're just spent. The jobs that they have taken on, the roles that they have taken on, they're just way too much. The constant vigilance of our managers, monitoring to make sure exiles don't break free, proactively protecting, working to suppress the exiles so that they never can break out, that constant vigilance, that is exhausting. And then the distraction that has to happen if the exiles have broken out, what the firefighters are doing to try to to, to divert our attention from exiles once they have broken free, that takes so much energy as well. 
I wanted to just run through the top 10 manager roles that we see in the RCC, in the Resilient Catholics community. These are the top 10 manager roles from the IMKs, the Initial Measures Kits. These are the ones that we see. And I just want to describe those roles briefly and talk about how exhausting they are. These are the manager roles. I'm just going to, I'm going to label them all first. I'll just list them all first. And then I'll talk about each one just a little bit more. So these are not necessarily in the order uh, from top to 10. We haven't actually tallied up how many times we've assigned these in IMK reports, but these are the top 10. A competent manager, a do-up-myself manager, Catholic standard bearer, internal critic, controller, approval seeker, self-sacrificer, a self-absorbed part, which also sometimes goes by a narcissistic part, a hiding part, and a stressed part. Competent manager, very effective at getting tasks done, following schedules, planning, organizing, making things work out. This one works so hard to try to keep things running smoothly. A do-it-myself manager, I've got to do it all by myself. Nobody's going to help me. I have got to make it happen. Catholic standard bearer, who functions as the good boy or good girl in your system, keeping you on the straight and narrow, holding you to high standards of conduct, trying to make you good enough in the eyes of God. A demanding internal critic who works so hard to badger you and force you into following those high standards of acting, thinking, feeling, whatever the standards that the standard bearer may be imposing. Controllers, oh, they use so much energy to try to control everything that's going on inside and outside, trying to protect you against feeling inadequate and not good enough. Strict discipline. An approval seeker. This one is so focused on gaining approval and recognition and attention from other people, fitting in, trying so hard to protect you against insecurity and a sense of shame and unworthiness. A self-sacrificer who focuses excessively on meeting the needs of others, even at the expense of your own dignity and well-being. The cost of a self-sacrificer running your system can be really, really high for other parts. A self-absorbed part, sometimes known as a narcissistic part, who really works hard to keep your exiled parts from experiencing further humiliation, shame, and de degradation. This part works so hard to get the admiration, respect, and esteem of others. A hiding part. This one takes a lot of energy too, right? Really keeping concealed other parts. Right? Not letting you see them, not letting you experience them, making it harder for you to know your whole self. Working so hard to keep disconnects in place. And then a stressed part or an anxious part. And in that Anxiety and stress proactively distracts you from the intensity of exiled parts, exacerbates situational stressors in order that you keep your focus on your current situation and keep the deeper, more long-standing intensity of your exiles, anger, grief, fear, and disappointment outside of your awareness. So much energy that these managers exert and proactively keeping your exiled parts suppressed. And they leaped into those roles as soon as those exiles took on their burdens. And that was in response to some kind of trauma or an attachment injury. Let's just review real quickly your firefighters too. 
Top 10 firefighters, detachers, reactive self-soothers, feisty protectors, avoiders, intimidators, self-punishers, emotional inhibitors, distractors, anxious parts, and rebels. Right? Detachers, they lead you to withdraw from relationships when your XLs are threatening to flood your system. These are the ones that get you out of relationship intensity. They move you away from other people. Reactive self-soothers, these are the ones who work to distract from intense negative emotions by engaging in activities that are intended to soothe, stimulate, or distract you from distress. Feisty protectors, they really rise up with anger, right? They set protective limits. They really don't want you to be mistreated any longer. Avoiders, they are the ones that lead you to withdraw from others and avoid them if they perceive others as potentially triggering more pain in your exiles, more distress in your exiles. Intimidators, they can rise up and prevent further mistreatment and humiliation by confronting others, by striking first those that they fear might hurt or harm you. Self-punishers are ones who become irritated or angry with you and are punitive, hard, and unforgiving. They're trying to punish you so that you'll rise up to some standard and also to keep you separated from the intensity of your exiles. Emotional inhibitors lead you to shut down emotionally and it's sort of like throwing the main on a circuit breaker. The whole system shuts down. Distractors redirect your attention and make it hard to focus when the intensity of your exiles experience becomes more prominent. This is where you can get ADHD-like symptoms. Anxious parts, they proactively distract from the intensity of exiled parts by bringing up high levels of anxiety that distract you from the underlying distress of your exiles. And a rebel who rejects or throws off demands or expectations and gets focused on immediate gratification and distraction and avoidance of a sense of inadequacy. Those are the top 10 firefighters. And each of those roles take up a lot of energy or it leads to consequences that take up a lot of, of energy. The consequences of firefighter activity can be hugely draining for people. When you have a part that is not in right relationship with the self, that part is in one or more subsystems. And each subsystem, like I said, is centered around an exile. And every protector, manager or fighter fighter, guards against at least one exile. The role of the manager and the firefighter is the burden. All right, so let's get into some specific guidance for working with protectors as we get down to deeper levels, to childhood origins. First, we want that focus on safety and security. Second, we want there to be the sense of you being in self with those eight C's, calm, connected, curious, compassionate, courageous, with clarity, with confidence, with creativity. No agenda, a big open heart to all parts, acceptance of all parts, love toward all parts. We want to develop a relationship of trust with the protector. We've gotten to know the protector. The protector is willing to work cooperatively and collaboratively with the self. The protector is willing to unblend. And there's regular check-ins and part sessions, so the parts work is ongoing and sustainable. The protector can trust that you will come back into contact with him or her. And if these assumptions are met, you can trust your intuition in working with your protectors. Remember that 
in working with protectors that's like working with young children. They have those five attachment needs for safety and security, for being seen, heard, known, and understood, for being comforted, for being soothed and reassured, for being cherished, treasured, and delighted in, and for willing the highest good. Now, the protector always knows a lot about the burden that the exile carries. Remember, the protector is deathly afraid of the exile's burden. And protectors are usually very willing to talk with the self about what they fear. They want to make their point. They want to explain why they are defending the way they are defending. So it's really important to recognize the fear of the protector. It's really important to recognize the good intentions of the protector. And it's important to recognize how hard the protector has worked to bring about some kind of semblance of safety. It's really important that the self listen to the story of the protector. We want to be with our protectors. We want the benevolence of the presence of the self with the protector. And again, it's important that we don't have another part speaking for the target protector, a spokespart, or maybe an analytical part who's trying to figure out the target protector's experience. Instead, we really want the story from the target protector himself or herself. And some questions you can ask, you can ask about the role that that protector has in this, in your system. What does it do? What other parts are involved? Who do you protect? Who do you guard against? And what do you think would happen if you didn't do your job? And then we get into the childhood origins. When did you begin, when did you begin your role? Sometimes it can seem to a part that it's always been in that role. So sometimes you might get that answer, but sometimes parts can tell you exactly when they took on their protective role for the first time. And I'm gonna, then you can invite them to replay the scene for when they took on that protective role for the first time. Really get into the story. Really get into the memory of the key event, the trauma, the attachment injury, the relational wound, whatever that was that kicked off this whole domino effect of an exile being burdened and then the protectors around that exile being burdened by their roles. You can ask the protector to fill in as much detail as he or she comfortably can with images, with words, maybe in other ways. And it's important to be present to the protector as a compassionate witness because very painful experiences may come up. We wanna witness those with gentleness and compassion. We want to focus primarily on the relationship between your innermost self and the protector, focusing on being in self. We want to reflect back to the protector what you're hearing to make sure that the understanding is accurate. We want those protectors to confirm that it is indeed accurate, or maybe we need to listen longer. We need to understand more, you know, more completely. So we want that friendship to develop. And we can get curious about whether the protector would like things to be different. What if that exile were to be unburdened? Would that, would that be okay? And address any fears of change that that protector has. Because if that exile is unburdened, then the protector is free to, to take on a new role, completely different, a role that's life-giving to that protector. But that can be scary. We want to emphasize that every part is indispensable and that we're not trying to take any options away from the part, but to add new options. And again, it can be so helpful to write down what you find 
in a parts journal or on a parts map and to follow up with protectors, right? We want to seek an ongoing relationship between your animal self and the protector. There's a sense of steadfastness and consistency and continuity in the relationship between your innermost self and your part. Now, if this all sounds really difficult, I'm going to encourage you to consider bringing in an IFS-informed therapist. Right? If you don't have one, but you need one, there's no shame in that. And people do that when they're stuck, when they're defended, when they're having difficulty staying in self in a part session, when there's lots of chaos inside or confusion, when there's lots of fear about going inside. And Jay Early discussed this in, page seven, in pages 17 to 18 of his self-therapy book where he said, quote, Some people have experienced so much pain and trauma in their lives that their internal systems are sensitive, reactive, chaotic, unstable, or strongly conflicted. If you have this kind of internal family, doing IFS work could trigger intense emotional and physical reactions. You could become panicked or depressed when trying to work with your parts. The work could activate headaches, allergies, or other psychosomatic reactions. It could prompt you to engage in addictive or dangerous behavior. You might feel spaced out and confused in the middle of the session or afterwards. If you sense that responses like this could happen to you, it probably isn't safe for you to use the I, to use IFS without the guidance of a psychotherapist. So I just wanted to remind you of that, right? There's no shame in getting IFS-informed therapy if you are struggling with accessing your parts, especially in their childhood experiences. So that's it for our interconnections talk. I'll look forward to touching base with you on the other side for experiential exercise.